welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's September 16th, 2020, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we are so honored to continue this series of looking at ways that families can engage internationally, specifically in adoption. And today we are joined by Sarah Wilson and Carla Thrasher to talk specifically about how you can get engaged with China adoption, both for your family or for friends or for your church family. Any way that you can, we want you to learn more about China adoption. And we also realize that during this time of COVID-19, that there is a difference uh, when we think about adoption in China. And we want to help encourage families to to not see the, the disappointment or not to see the obstacle, but to see the opportunity that lies before us in China adoption. Uh, coming up, Right around the corner in 12 days in Birmingham, Alabama, is the 15th annual Celebrity Classic, our golf tournament that goes to benefit the Ministry of Lifeline. It will be held at Bentbrook Golf Club in Birmingham, Alabama. All the proceeds support the work the Lord has allowed Lifeline to be a part of for four decades, equipping the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to vulnerable children. And so if you want to be a part, maybe you and your child want to be a part of sending the golfers off, or you just want to be able to give to that endeavor, please Email us at info at lifelinechild.org. Again, that's info at lifelinechild.org. And let us know that you want to get engaged with the Lifeline Celebrity Classic Golf Tournament. Well, I'm, again, so privileged to have uh, Carla Thrasher, who's the Director of International Adoption at Lifeline, uh, join us today. Uh, She has a degree in social work from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And, of course, she and her husband, Jamie, have three precious children, Michael, Mary Allison, and Lucy. And she began working at Lifeline in 2001 and since that time has been extremely engaged with the China Adoption Program, uh, as well as having big and huge relationships with our liaisons in China. And then we're also joined by Sarah Wilson, who's the program manager for China. Uh, She is originally from the Quad Cities, Florence, Alabama. Uh, She serves as a social worker on the China team, and she attended the University of North Alabama and received her bachelor's in social work and also went to the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and received a master's of arts degree in church and community ministries. And she just finished her master's degree in social work from the University of Alabama, Roll Tide. And so we we are grateful to have both of these ladies join us. And so, Carla, if we just start with you. You know, China is our oldest uh, international adoption program. We've been working in China since 1999-2000. Can you just give us an overview of the program and a history of the program as well? Absolutely, Herbie. I'm so grateful to be able to speak on behalf of such an amazing um, country and partner to Lifeline um, in the intercountry adoption realm. So as Herbie said, we started um, our China Adoption Program in 2000. And at that time, things were very different, not only in China, but just across the world. And um, we were seeing adoptions of, of mainly younger children, um, even children of, that had, had no known needs, so children that were considered to be healthy. 
um, at that time. And around maybe 2007, 2008, we saw a shift um, in the children that were eligible um, for adoption in China to children with medical special needs, um, maybe even children that were beginning to be a little bit older. And I'm I'm always really grateful to say, I, I honestly feel like Lifeline played a big part in that switch with China, just kind of opening their minds to the value of life, um, that there were families here in the United States and all over the world that really did want to parent children that maybe did have medical special needs or maybe were older. Um, so from about 2008, like I said, we've seen China continue um, in that vein. Um, really excited to say we have played a part in hundreds, in the adoption of hundreds of children with medical needs. We've kept a, a very large focus on older children also having um, the ability to be adopted um, into Christian families. Um, and probably in the last couple of years have seen China even um, change a little bit more. Um, kind of restriction-wise, we did see some new restrictions come out where they were screening families more closely. Um, we did see some some rule changes. And then this year, of course, dealing with the um, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, we've, we've seen some travel restrictions that have really um, come into play for our families. I'm really encouraged, though, to share with families that the need is still so great in China. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands of children um, that are in orphanages, about 3,000 of those children paperwork ready for adoption. Um, but the need is great. And I do want to encourage families that the COVID-19 restrictions are isolated to travel at this time. We are seeing um, applications being accepted. We are continuing to see children being matched in the program. We're continuing to see processes move. We are communicating with the central authority, who I'd just like to say to our tremendous partners to Lifeline. Um, we've gotten to know several of them on a very on a, on a personal basis. We know that their hearts are for these children, are for continuing to see the adoption program grow in China. Um, but that's kind of just a, an overview from the beginning, um, but just really excited, even where we sit today, watching our entire world change um, along with the, this pandemic, that, that China is still a very viable option um, and just a great resource for adoptive families. Yeah, and certainly I, I, I think that China adoption is something that, that we would absolutely encourage folks to continue to look at, not just because of the long history, uh, but even with changes over the last 20, 21 years, uh, we can still say that we see consistency uh, and uh, uh, an opportunity to partner. I, I think there's still a, a great desire, especially in part of the CCCWA, to partner with the United States in placing children uh, who, who need families into American homes. So, you know, Sarah, as, as I think of a family that is looking at international adoption, you know, maybe they think about China because it's it's China, South Korea are kind of those those first programs that people think about. Why would you tell someone that they should strongly consider and pray about China? I think just the first place to start is that we see every day these these pictures and files that come through of, of children that are waiting for families um, and know that even though, you know, it may be different today than what the program looked like to begin with. Um, 
there are, like Carla said, you know, thousands of children that have files prepared that are waiting for families. Um, and so I would say just over even the last six, seven months, as we have seen changes, I've just been so encouraged by the way that the CCCWA has continued to work and advocate for these children. And so while it feels like if you zoom out and take a, a big picture look at the program, it can feel very heavy um, with just people associating COVID and China and and feeling like there are just obstacles that, that can't be crossed. I would say that when you really think about the children that are waiting, the way that the process is is moving along, families are matching on the U.S. side of things, things are moving smoothly. Um, so I would say that that it would um, be worth praying and considering, um, because really at the end of the day, like there there are still a lot of children that are waiting for families, and the obstacles that we do see, we don't want to gloss over them. Like there are families that are longing to travel to bring their kids home and they haven't been able to do that yet. Um, but I would say that for all of those hard things, there are a million reasons um, to still consider and, and pray about adopting from China at this point. Amen. And, and, and I think a lot of times, you know, from the outside looking in, we, we judge a people by the, the least common denominator, which is typically, you know, all of those idiosyncrasies of a culture that would be more on a negative side. And I think especially right now, uh, when we're walking through COVID-19, uh, I think several years ago when we were walking through the SARS, when you've, when you've walked through these, these different pandemics or these, these different uh, things, or, or, or even trade wars with, with China that we hear, you know, I, I'm afraid that a lot of the American people, a lot of the American public gets this image of what China is like or even what the Chinese people are like by the worst common denominator. But, of course, if you were to look at the United States, you could easily, from an outside perspective, judge us by our least worst common denominator. So when you when you think about China, Carla, and I know you've had the opportunity to travel there many times, you have dear friends who are in the country who you get to partner with. How would you describe China to someone who's never been, the people, the culture, and, and how would you encourage folks to, to not look at what they see on the news, but to, to consider what the culture really looks like? I love that you've asked this question, Herbie. It's one of the things, I'll be honest with you, ever, you know, since the last weekend of January when COVID-19 became a real thing um, for our China program, it's something that we've really tried to keep our families focused on. Um, not so much just that very small scope of things that you're hearing on the news, you know, about who started the virus or, you know, the the, the political tension that's, that's going on between the, the higher kind of realm of our government, but really kind of taking it down to focus on the actual people living in the country and um, the people that we do have the relationships with, like Herbie said. Um, we've had the privilege, Herbie and I even together sometimes, of being in country, spending weeks in some of the cities where our partner orphanages are, and just really getting to know these people on a very personal level and just seeing, um, you know, kind of a you know, China at this time as a hurting nation, it was really easy 
um, with our background to jump in and say, you know what, we're going to put aside all of the the arguing and the bickering that's going on, and we're really going to focus on caring for China as a country. Um, and I may get teary for a minute because it just, I was so encouraged by how our families responded to that and just us being able to jump in and talk with them about the culture um, and about, you know, what what the political tension and what, you know, the pandemic, like what was actually happening at the ground level. Um, our facilitator, Lily, who many of you guys know by name, she's a tremendous partner to us and just a very, very, very close friend um, over the last few, several years. Um, but just hearing from her every day about what life on the ground really was looking like in China really kept us focused on not only just the need to jump in and help, you know, with humanitarian um, type assistance, but just that that we needed to be the gospel um, to China at this time. And I think that's just been Lifeline's kind of overarching reach over the past 20 years is that while we obviously are in this because we are benefiting from the children being eligible for adoption and China participating in intercountry adoption, we are truly in this to be the hands and feet of Christ. Um, adoption just happens to be our way into the country. So I would just kind of in a nutshell, you know, the, the people that we know in China are loving people. They care about these kids. Um, so many of them have given um, their lives to work um, as orphanage directors or just, you know, orphanage volunteers. I don't know any harder working group of people than nannies that work in an orphanage. Um, so I would just say it's a beautiful culture, a beautiful, caring culture, so rich and steeped in tradition that that means so much. Um, and I, I just feel like, um, you know, with the gospel, you know, that would truly, you know, just just complete them as a people. Um, but yeah, I just appreciate being able to talk about, um, you know, China as, as the China we know, rather than the China that is, um, you know, kind of all over the news today. Yeah, and as I think about that, the folks that we have met throughout the country are extremely gracious. Uh, they, they are appreciative of guests and extremely hospitable. Um, even down to local level leaders and lo lo local orphanage directors and civil affairs leaders and, and the, the folks that work at CCCWA, uh, they do truly care about these children finding homes and finding permanence and finding a place where, where they, can, uh, they can get the help that they need. As a matter of fact, I, we know that a lot of the reasons that so many times they may strengthen or, or change their policies is for the protection of the children. Uh, and so really, even as we think about that, Sarah, you know, if a family were interested in adopting from China, and I know in a lot of ways things are different, and, you know, one of the things that Carla said that's so important is the process is still going on even though travel is suspended. Take us through what a general process would look like, you know, both pre-COVID, but also what we suspect things look like uh, post-COVID as well. For sure. So I don't want to get too in the weeds with this, but to provide just a... 30,000 foot overview. Um, the initial step is that you're going to submit a pre-application and then the full application once your application is accepted. Um, from there, we start to work very closely with you on your home study process. So whether Lifeline is doing that or another agency is doing that, um, we're providing a lot of hands-on 
assessment and education and just encouragement through that time. I would say that our goal certainly and and that of other agencies is to finish the home study in three to four months. Um, And from that time, once your home study is finished, you're going to submit the first of two applications to USCIS. Um, So the first being the 800A, you're going to fill that out. Lifeline helps you with that process. And then as we wait on that approval, we begin the process of compiling your dossier. So your dossier is going to be a folder of information that contains medical information and financial information and basically everything that China is going to want to know as they look at you as a prospective adoptive family for them to feel really good about placing a child in your family. Um, So 800A is happening, dossier is happening, and when those things are are finished and you have your 800A approval and your dossier is ready to go, we send that to the CCCWA that's been mentioned a lot of times um, during this podcast, but they're the central authority on adoption in China. And they go through the process of looking through your dossier. And here's where the process can kind of differ for for some people. Um, There are matching avenues once your home study is finished. So as a family, you may be matched with a child before your dossier is submitted to China, um, or that may happen after your dossier is submitted to China. Um, And if you have questions about that, I would really encourage you to fill out a pre-application and um, let one of our staff members talk you through kind of what we see matching-wise right now. Um, But essentially, once you're matched with a child and you have a dossier in China um, and and they have the chance to look through everything, Um, you'll receive an initial pre-approval, and that will be followed by your letter of acceptance, or what we call your LOA. And from there, you get to fill out the second immigration application, or the I-800. Once that approval is, is received, your family's information through a couple of different small steps and channels is sent to the U.S. consulate and GUZ um, for kind of the last big paperwork review called the Article 5 process. And then from there, once that's finished, you're waiting on your travel approval from China. Um, And then pre-COVID world, um, you'd be on a plane in a couple of weeks to bring your child home. And so that's just a very, very brief general overview of what the process looks like. But I would really encourage you if, if anything that was said during that time you have questions about to reach out, submit a pre-app, and we would love to to talk you through in more specific detail what the program looks like. And assuming for a moment, and, and Carla, as we've mentioned previously, you know, you have been working with, with China Adoption really since 2001. Uh, when you are talking to families who are interested in this process, what are some of the most common questions that families ask and and what are the answers to those questions? That's a great question. Um, So probably, you know, one of the first questions, you know, families ask us is how do I know, you know, how do I know what country um, is going to be, you know, best for our family? And, you know, first and foremost, you know, we want you guys to pray and seek the Lord because we honestly believe if he's going to call you to a country, he's going to provide all of the answers to that question that you've asked. Um, We have a quick looks tool that kind of delineates all of our programs um, with with the different requirements and restrictions. So that's something that helps families as well. Another question families most often ask is, how am I gonna pay for this? Um, Which is a a very valid question. 
Um, it is not common at all that anybody comes into this process knowing exactly where this money is coming from. Um, they know the Lord's called them to it. They know he's promised to provide. And they know that there are people that have gone before them that are able to, um, you know, talk talk through their own stories. But we there are so many grants available, so many resources. The adoption community is a strong fundraising community. Everybody helps and believes in um you know, the, the gift of adoption and supports each other. So I'd say that's another question. I'd say probably uh, the last question I'll talk about today is just kind of discerning, um, how do I know which child? And that's such a very personal question. Um, and as you get into the process, we have several tools that we use. First, to educate families um, on how to best answer that question, how to kind of discern their family's capacity how to educate themselves about needs, even culturally. What does this word actually mean in this country? Or what do you see, you know, as, as children are being adopted, what do you see children coming home from a country like China? What are the needs that they're presenting with? So we're gonna walk you through all of those things. Um, and then on the back side of that, there is so much good post-adoption support. Um, I'd really just want to um, share really quickly, over the past probably five years, seeing that children are getting older, children are having more um, needs coming out of orphanages. Lifeline has really committed to being there when we feel the journey really starts, and that's when that child is placed in your home. Um, so having our own counseling department at this time, um, starting an educational service for families that are trying to navigate, you know, public school systems or education for their um, internationally adopted child, a parent coaching um, service that I'm so excited about that really just gives one-on-one, -on -one, you know, kind of mom-to-mom conversations happening, um, you know, obviously with the mom on Lifeline side, having a lot of resources and international adoption experience to pull from, and just a really committed team of women here um, that are gonna be on the phone with you guys, be in your homes, um, available to pray with you, available to share resources, available just to, to talk you through your bad days. Um, so I've really been proud to watch that develop on our team and feel like we're really meeting a need in the adoption community in that way. Yeah, and Sarah, as I think, as you talk to families, you know, what are those questions that they're always afraid to ask, but they deep down in their heart want to know? And how would you answer those questions? Mm. That's a tough one, Herbie. Uh, there's a reason why people are scared to to voice some of these questions. And I would say that pre-process, one of those questions, you know, kind of as Carla touched on is, you know, as they're reviewing files, um, they may have questions about this child that maybe they feel drawn to, but they're just not sure about. And I think sometimes there's a, a fear on the part of the, you know, prospective adoptive parent that if I ask these questions that I have deep concerns about, that we're going to think that they're not um, suitable parents for this child. And I would say the opposite is true. Um, we really value transparency between caseworkers and family. Um, and want you to feel comfortable to say the things that maybe feel hard to say. Um, to say maybe, I don't know 100% that we can can parent this child with, with these needs. And what do you think about that? And um, would just encourage you that there aren't any um, 
wrong questions to ask or any um, kind of any of those deep, you know, feelings or or concerns that you have that you don't want to voice that um, would scare us off. I think between our staff, there are very few things that we haven't seen and encouraged families through. So I would I would say that that is one of the things that I I hear from families a lot, especially during the file review process is if I share what I'm most concerned about, you're going to think I'm not the best parent for this child. And, And I would say most often the complete opposite is true. We love that you are asking the hard questions. And, um, so I would say that's one. Um, and then maybe post adoption too, getting to the point where I feel like I, I don't know that I can do this. Um, I'm not sure what to do from here. I feel like I've tried everything and I don't know, um, you know, how to make it through the next day or what resources I even need to ask for. Um, And in those cases, I would just kind of affirm and reiterate everything that Carla said. Um, There are just a lot of I think peaks of post-adoption, but a lot of valleys as well. And we think that, you know, it, it's best to approach it with a spirit of, um, you know, even if we're, we're struggling, even if we may be afraid to say that we're having a hard time, that that will not be met with a um, shaming or sense of you should know this or you should be able to do this because that that's not true. And so our goal is really to, we talk about being a hand-holding agency and that's true during the process, but I would say that becomes, you know, doubly true um, in post-adoption because our goal is never to leave you to feel like you have to figure it out by yourself. Um, so that was a lot. Hopefully mm-hmm. that that is... Um, you know, makes sense, but that's just what comes to mind. So Carla, as we, as we close, you know, one of the things that we have talked about is that we've really uh, tried our hardest to find families for children, especially children that are in the most need. And a lot of times those children are older or do have maybe a significant special need uh, or a mild special need, but let's, let's specifically hone in on those children with more severe special needs. Um, when a family is praying and considering over that, what resources and options do they have that they can seek help for them as they make a decision? And then will you just close us off on how can we be specifically praying for the children of China? Absolutely. So um, as Herbie said, you know, the way the way international adoption as a whole is heading is the direction of kids that are going to be a little bit older than we've seen in the past you know, 10, 20 years and kids that are going to have more significant needs. And one reason for that is we're seeing um, countries allowing more domestic adoption. And any time a child can stay in their culture um, with a family that's going to care for them well, we are we are big fans and advocates of that. And we actually kind of little rabbit trail here. We are we are that's kind of our next international venture is really trying to see how can we equip domestic families in our countries to provide homes for these children. Um, but back to the original question, we um, there's so many resources available to families that are um, looking to adopt children that have more significant medical special needs. We've got great partnerships here in the U.S. with international adoption 
clinics who not only have the medical expertise to walk families through what these needs are going to look like once they're home. What is this need going to look like five, 10 years out? You know, is this child going to reach an independent adulthood or, you know, what are surgeries going to look like along the way? But these clinics also have the advantage of knowing the culture and even the language or certain medical terms, how they're used in country. Um, so we really um, recommend families connecting with international clinics. We also are very committed to pursuing all the information we can for families. Um, questions back and forth with the central authority, questions back and forth with the orphanage, um, really seeking out can we actually talk to the caregiver that's caring for the child? Um, can we get that specific? Um, we encourage families to, um, or we actually ask for pictures and videos, you know, just really anything we can that gives the family the best picture they can have of this child. And then probably lastly, just connecting families with families that have adopted children with similar needs. Um, because, you know, the best resource is somebody that's kind of been there, done that, and can walk a family through um, not only what this has looked like on the medical side, but what did this look like financially? What did this look like time-wise um, for our family? You know, how are things going, you know, two or three years out from our adoption? So we really do. Um, I love that Herbie asked this question because it's really important that we prepare families as best we can um, with all the knowledge that we can um, to, to have a child actually in their home. Hmm. Well, amen. And we would just encourage families that are looking into adoption to look us up at lifelinechild.org and you can find very quickly how a little bit more about China adoption and then as always you can reach out to our team and so Sarah in closing if someone is interested in international adoption specifically China how can they get in touch with you and your team yeah that's a great question so I would say generally um, the pre-app is available on our website if you go and find our international page the pre-app is in pretty accessible spot at the top of the page that you can find. It's very brief. Um, you just put in your contact information and someone from our team will reach back out to you from there. Um, but also if you have kind of more specific requests or, or want to talk directly with, um, you know, someone on our team, I'm happy to provide my contact information as well. Um, and my, my name, you can find it on our website too, but it's just Sarah, S-A-R-A dot Wilson at lifelinechild.org. And you can send me an email directly as well if you'd like, but yeah. Absolutely. Well, make sure you reach out to our team and learn more about China adoption. Even in times like these, there are children who desperately uh, need families from China and from around the world. And we would be thrilled to be able to help you and your family seek out what that looks like for you. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast. <music>